Hi, and welcome to another episode of the RCH Kids Health Info podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr Anthea Rhodes, paediatrician here at the RCH, and I'll be hosting today, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr Margie Danchen. Thanks, Anth, and welcome back. It's fantastic to have you. Thank you. From the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info podcast. Today we're actually going to be talking about development and in particular when kids start to walk and talk and this is really top of mind for you now Anth with a new baby starting to think about all those developmental milestones and of course for both of us as mums of four you know we're all too familiar with those mothers group discussions when everyone sits around in the park on the grass and starts comparing who's crawling, who's walking, who's got words. For me it was around sleep because my children never slept and as a paediatrician, I thought they should be sleeping, but they weren't. Um, so we're really going to talk today about what is normal, when should parents be worried, when are their kids perhaps not hitting their developmental milestones and when are things late. So what are some of the most common concerns that you've come across, Anth, when you chat to parents? Yeah, look, I think when it comes to things like both walking and talking, they're some of the big milestones and people know that they're sort of looking out for, for those and whether or not their child is achieving that or reaching that at a time that seems average or typical. But of course, there's a really wide range of development and what's normal. And that's what we really want to talk about today. So we've got joining us in the studio, Associate Professor Gihan Roberts, who is an expert in child development and behaviour. And it will be great to hear from you, Gihan, about all of these things today. Welcome. Thanks very much, Anthea. And good morning, Margie. Good morning, Gihan. And of course, this is a topic where everyone has an opinion. And, you know, we're going to hear some expert opinion in a minute. But as a, a mum of a new baby, so my littlest COVID surprise special is now <laughs> 11 weeks. And today's the first day I've actually left her and, you know, come out of the house for it'll only be a couple of hours, but it was momentous. But I, I am reminded of how much people do observe and comment. So even in just these couple of months, it's everyone's got a perspective. Oh, her head's strong or not strong. And she's moving her neck and she's making good eye contact or not good eye contact. And as a parent and particularly a new parent, I think that can be a bit overwhelming for people sometimes. So what's really normal, Gihan, when mm. it comes to development? Yeah, no, great question. So um, I think it's probably probably worth uh, getting a few definitions and uh, meanings out there. So yeah. we hear a lot about developmental milestones. Parents hear about this all the time. And developmental milestones are just your infant or your toddler or your child's achievements. And they usually happen in a fairly predictable order. Uh, but the key thing to remember is that there is so much variation between individuals. It's really important that we think about a range of what's normal yeah. rather than trying to get too fixated on a really specific age. And a few other definitions I thought I might just put out there because we might hear about them. And when we think about development, we think about them in different groups of activities or skills. We think about large body movements like walking or running and clinicians, doctors, nurses call these gross motor skills. Yeah. We think about uh, really small, fine 
uh, control movements, like you know, using your fingers to pick up a crumb, which we think call fine motor skills. We also think about groups of skills such as language and communication. We think about groups such as social emotional skills, and all this is, of course, in the context of making sure your child can hear and see well. And we can talk about all of those and, things. And so, Gehan, if we think about the gross motor skills, um, so for example, for from from infant stages, that's when a child may roll and then sit and crawl and walk. Does that always happen in the same order like that? Yeah. One of the things about development is that the word always, <laughs> pretty much always doesn't apply. So most children do things in a predictable order, but some children come up with really fascinating, interesting variations that work for them. And for example, we've all seen kids who didn't crawl, but they bum shuffle to get around the room. Yep. And then all of a sudden they are pulling themselves up cruising along furniture and then they're walking. And this is just part of that mm. lovely variation of normal that we and often see. And similarly, sometimes those children don't actually sit well either. They may just go to commando crawling on their tummy but sort of take a little bit longer to sit as well, which often parents ask about. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And what about things that might seem to go backwards? So it's not always the same rate as well with development, is it? It's not like one thing and the next thing and the next thing. Sometimes there are little pauses. Sometimes there are little backward steps in one area of skill development while the child consolidates another area. And there's going to be a theme that comes up when we talk about uh, what happens when things don't go according to plan. I think the main message is that parents don't uh, sit with the worry. So they might observe something, but we'll talk a little bit later about if you do have concerns as a parent, what do you do about that concern? And it is hard, isn't it, Gihan, when, as I mentioned at the start, parents are constantly comparing their children to their friends' children who are the same age. And sometimes I think that's where that worry comes from, that comparison. We all do that with our own children and yeah. with the children of family and friends. Um, you know, I think mothers' groups are such a great institution and I think a lot of people missed them in during COVID last year. Um but what I'd encourage everyone is to go back to reliable sources of information and we'll share some reliable sources of, of information, for example, the Raising Children's Network, which talks about what's normal, what's expected. And when you're sitting at home with that worry that my child isn't doing skill X, which my neighbour's child is, where do I go? And I think that idea that normal is a wide range, as you've said, Gihan, and there's average, but, you know, only the very middle of the group are going to do something at that average time. Some will be faster, some will be slower, but all of those can be normal. It's funny you say that, Anth. I so distinctly recall in my mother's group, um, one of the little boys was actually walking at nine months. I mean, he was tiny and this little guy just suddenly, you know, he was crawling at like sort of four or five months and then he got up and walked. And of course, my son walked at like, I don't know, 14 months or something. But it was amazing to see, you know, just the variation just in our little group. Yeah. Is... And even within a family. So my third child was like that. Just over nine months, he was genuinely walking and tiny tiny little yeah. and now he and he's still very agile coordinated sporty yeah kid and yet th my older two had been much slower than that so 
you know, we weren't necessarily expecting, I wasn't expecting number three to get up and move. <laughs> I was quite inconvenient. I would have much preferred him to stay still for a bit longer. But yeah, even within the same family, you know, obviously the genetics are there, but you, every child is different. There's a lot of myths out there about girls versus boys and first versus second or third yes. children. But really, it's it's going back and focusing on the child in front of you and thinking about their skills and their progression over time. That's important. So we might talk now a bit more about talking mm. or speech and language development, which is actually not just talking, is it, Gihan? It's also listening and understanding words. But it's actually very common with around one in 10 children being delayed or perhaps a bit slow on the slower end when it comes to language development. Can you talk to us about the milestones? You know, what are the things really that parents need to look out for? Mm. When we work with speech therapists, for example, and we try and understand speech and language, uh, we try and break it into sort of manageable chunks because it's very complicated um, sometimes. And speech, we think about the sounds that we make with our mouth and our voice box, but language is something that comes from the brain. It's what your brain understands and expresses in terms of concepts. And then within language, that which comes from the brain, we think about what's called receptive language, which is your understanding, and then your expressive language, which is how you express yourself. So it's it's really useful uh, when we as professionals see a kid where there's concerns about their language or communication to try and figure out exactly where that area of concern is. And then coming back to those milestones, um, as you both know, those uh, milestones start appearing really early and yes. within hours of birth, really, the baby has the skill to really um, still and alert to their parent's voice. And then in that first year of life, there's so much communication that happens with eye contact and smiles. Beautiful babbling. Oh, so lovely. The back and forth cooing and babbling, even when there's no real words being formed. And then we look for things like a few recognisable words around the time of their first birthday. Yeah. About 18 months, often there's a big explosion of lots of words emerging. Closer to their second birthday, they might start combining words in little phrases like, you know, big dog or look apple, something like that. Um, and then the other thing that happens is that by that second birthday, heading towards their third birthday, most of the language usually is understood by people who are outside of the immediate family. And that's another marker of the child's ability to communicate uh, in the wider world. And also alongside them talking and in, in babble right through to sentences as the years go by, there's them understanding things too, mm. isn't there? So, And I think that's something that perhaps is harder to see, but parents will tell you, you know, even though their 12 or 14 month old child doesn't have many words, that they can understand a lot more than they can actually say. Yep. So one of the most common concerns that a parent might have when it comes to speech and language is, well, my child is not yet saying words. Mm. When should parents be worried about that? If as a parent you're concerned, ask someone. You know, it could be a trusted peer, it could be a grandparent, or it could be a health professional like your health nurse or GP. I think, though, it is common that 
children, as you said, speak a, a bit later. You know, some kids really only do start after 18 months, you know, with, with single words. Mm. I think we've really moved on from that concept of watch and wait. Um, mm. And we wouldn't be encouraging anyone just to wait and see if it gets better by itself. Uh, again, we can go back to sources of information like the Raising Children's Network, which can point people in the right direction. But as you said, Margie, it's the ex- the interventions are not expensive. They're not technology based. They're really those basic, lovely human interactions that parents can just start doing yeah. at home on their mm, own. Absolutely. So spending time with your child, value adding, following their interests, and you know we we might think about the child's interested in something. They label it apple. And then you as a parent might come back and just value add to that conversation and say, oh, yes, that's a big apple, isn't it? And just try and build the complexity. Uh, You don't have to engage in in baby talk with your baby. Just use nice, normal language so that child is constantly getting role modelling about what normal language sounds like. Yeah, and I think uh, alongside that I've um, heard the concept of non-business talk, which is the idea that, you know, you've got business talk at home, which is get ready, get your shoes on, get out the door. There's lots of that. But also taking the opportunity to chat about other things that might be happening and that's sort of describing stuff that's around you or just talking with your child about stories and things that you might see or hear. The more language that they hear, the more you're stimulating their ability to develop words. Mm. And always just being mindful, even at these younger ages around screen time and not allowing children to sit on iPads, you know, for long periods of time. Yes, there are some great games and and obviously some lovely rhyming things, you know, that parents can give their children online, but just being very mindful about screen time. Yep, absolutely. As you both know, and and Anthea, you've done a lot of work in this area, it's never too early to start setting those family rules about, you know, what's okay for screen time. And I think with language development, something that's really um, helpful to talk about with parents is our own screen time as parents is actually time often that's silent. So if you're engaged in a conversation online, so you might be texting a friend and having a really social interaction, but for your baby or toddler who's alongside you, that whole interaction is silent. So it's not even like once upon a time we might have been on the phone having that conversation and you feel like, oh, you might be ignoring your child because you're chatting on the phone they're still hearing your language while you're doing that or perhaps having a coffee with a girlfriend and the children are there. You're not talking to them, but they're seeing social interaction and they're hearing words. So wherever you can, trying to actually use words, use language in a way that your child can see you and hear you. Which could also potentially have more impact if your child is particularly a a shy or a quiet child anyway. Yeah, personalities and temperament. Uh, And again, parents are the experts here and and most parents can tell you very early on about what their child's temperament is. They may not use the word temperament, but it's it's really around how the child responds to the world around them. It might be around how the child reacts to unexpected things, how sociable they are, how emotionally regulated they are. And these, what, what we as paediatricians uh, call temperament uh, or profiles of temperament, they do tend to be fairly fixed over time, but it's, it's a part of understanding your child. And really what, what we can do is learn to use what we know about the child's temperament 
to uh, modify the way we approach opportunities to parent and teach our children and also over time teach our kids how to deal with the things that they find challenging so that they don't stop the child from achieving anything that they want to achieve. And I think one of the things that we should talk about when it comes to language as well, Gihan, is some of the more serious but less common things that can be behind um, delayed talking. Autism is one of those big ones that comes up. It's obviously often talked about. It can be a worry in a parent's mind. And we do know that in some cases when a child is delayed in their language, that might be one of the signs of autism. Autism, is it's certainly out there in the media. Everyone is aware and everyone is thinking about it. I think the key thing is that lots of children do lots of quirky, unusual, fascinating things. We've all seen the toddlers who get really excited and they flap their arms or kids are a bit shy and they avoid eye contact and the vast majority of those kids don't have autism. They're just showing uh, maybe differences in temperament or personality. But as paediatricians, we see kids uh, when there are significant persisting concerns and it might be around their the kid's ability to communicate socially. So to be able to use their communication skills to get by in the playground or to uh, communicate their needs using non-verbal communication, eye contact and gestures. And often we see kids where those social communication challenges are combined with uh, unusual behaviours such as really repetitive or rigid behaviours. And that may be when your health professional uh, goes down the path of, well, what do we have to do to rule out or rule in this condition, Uh, which is part of a huge spectrum. It's now called the autism spectrum. And that really um, captures that essence that within autism, there's a huge range of severity from kids who have lots and lots of challenges in day-to-day life to kids who are incredibly bright and uh, skillful in a particular area that they're fascinated in. And there might also be some other sort of specific language-based disorders that a child may have as well. Absolutely. So more, far more common than autism is, for example, hearing loss. Um, so again, you know, you might start off as a parent with your local health professional. You might see your health nurse who might do some of those developmental screening activities and then work with you to figure out yep, I agree with your concern. What do we do now? Do, for example, um, uh, I as the parent go away and try a a whole lot of those stimulation activities, but then come back in two or three months to see how things are going? Um, Do I take my child off to an audiologist for a hearing test? Should I be starting to work with a speech therapist to try and promote some of that language development? Or is there evidence of something that might be more of concern where the health nurse might ask you to go see your GP and maybe get a referral to see a paediatrician. So there's a huge range of responses. But the key thing is that in every community, there are trusted health professionals who can point you as a parent in the right direction. Just a couple of other things around talkers before we finish up. What about English as a second language? So, you know, we've got a very diverse community here in Australia, which is fabulous. And lots of households don't have English as their first language. And I see parents and they can be quite worried sometimes that this is going to mean their child will be delayed in their language development. Mm. But in fact, that's actually not the case, is it? Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's some really lovely research out there that there's a lot of advantages to growing up in a bilingual household. and uh, But we do know that kids who are growing up hearing 
two two or more languages often mix up those languages. They might use yeah. words interchangeably. They might have a little bit more time where they really think about what they're absorbing before they start expressing themselves. Um, but the key thing for parents to remember is that just because they're bringing up their child in Australia doesn't mean that they have to fill the household with English if that's not a language they're comfortable with. So my advice uh, to parents is to use the language that you're most comfortable and fluent with and to, f- and to really enrich the child with your language. Okay, so I think the take-home message is really, Gihand, around late talking or concerns around talking are if a parent's concerned to follow that concern. Um, I think we've given some lovely examples of the way parents can stimulate language development, things they can do at home, and then follow those referral pathways that you nicely outlined in terms of seeking help from you know healthcare professionals. So moving on to late walkers now, sometimes you can see problems with motor development alongside other areas of development like speech and language that we've just been talking about, or sometimes it can be the only problem. So Gihan, what should parents be concerned about and looking out for when it comes to the motor development of their kids? We're now talking about what we labelled before as those gross motor skills, those big whole body, large muscle movements. Walking's a really clear Um, milestone or a signpost and a lot of parents can remember when their child took their first step and started walking but it's really important to remember that the walking skill is scaffolded by a whole range of other skills that develop in those first months of life and we as health professionals might have some lines in the sand for when uh, a child might have reached the kind of the end of that normal or average range of skills and we might think about you know is a four-month-old developing the confidence to hold their head up is a 10-month-old able to sit fairly confidently with not much support you know is a 14 15-month-old starting to cruise around furniture and then able to let go and take a couple of steps by about 18 months so we might have those rough lines in the sand but um, what's important to remember is that as we talked about right at the very start there's a huge range in what's normal um, and most kids who have delays it's it's really a case of stimulating their development and then watching carefully to make sure they achieve the next step and the next step and some of what parents might notice is not a delay it's just as you said beautifully at the start kids doing things differently so I think bottom shuffling or bum Mm. shuffling is a beautiful example of that where kids um, sit confidently and then they work out that they can actually get around quite quickly on the floor and some of them can move really quickly scooting along the floor on their bottom and so they actually stand up and walk a bit later Um, and you know those kids often really benefit from being encouraged to stand behind a a walker or a little trolley and put their toys in and and sort of push them along but Mm. that's not actually abnormal that's just a range of within the normal um, limits for kids, isn't it? Absolutely. It's just it's a variation of what's normal. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it can sometimes look really strange. Like yeah. some of these kids who bum shuffle and it's often, you know, sort of asymmetrical. So one crab. side, yeah, they're like a crab. They've got a dominant arm mm. that's dragging them along and sort of pulling their legs behind. And 
you can get some interesting comments from people who might think that that looks really worrying, but in fact, uh, it's just a, another way to get around. And yeah. one of my eldest, he didn't bum shuffle, but what he did for a, probably a couple of months was sort of walk on his knees. So he was on his knees, but otherwise upright, which was not good for his clothes because he went through trousers pretty quickly and it looked terribly uncomfortable. And then just one day he was up and he was off on his feet. So all kinds of different things that the other one, of course, is commando crawling. Mm. Yes. I mean, kids can be incredibly quick Super on their quick. tummies, so they might not even necessarily be sitting yet, yeah. but they can really move forward so fast. That variation of normal um, can look different for different kids and look out for those signs that progress is happening um, and walking is just the end of a very long step, you know, mm. series of steps in development really. What about situations where something more serious might be happening, Gihan, or, or when to worry? There's there's a few things to look out for. Um, most of the time, um, these these delays in gross motor skills are precisely that. They're a delay that'll catch up uh, over time. You know, you might think, oh, was there a family history where, where either mum or dad slightly delayed in their motor development and then showed slow, steady progress over time? And that might be a clue that that's what's happening with your child. But there are a few physical problems that, again, a health professional can help with. All parents uh, might remember that baby check before you leave hospital where the doctor or nurse checks your baby's hips. That's to look for a condition called hip dysplasia, uh, which which if identified early on and treated early on has really good long-term outcomes. But we know from, you know, in the past where this wasn't done, if it if it is missed, uh, it can have some long-term consequences. So there's physical problems affecting bones and joints like that. Parents often think of that as the clicky hip. The clicky and hip, And they might be absolutely. sent off to have an ultrasound of mm. their baby's hips. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, the, if the motor problem is persisting, and especially if, if it causes... Um, um, problems with the child's day-to-day function. If the child's getting frustrated because they can't achieve something uh, that most of their peers are achieving, it may be a sign of a more persisting underlying problem. There's a underlying problem of motor coordination, which is called DCD or Developmental Coordination Disorder, that a physio or an occupational therapist might help you to understand. And then, of course, we've heard of cerebral palsy, which is uncommon. It's a, it occurs in about one in 700 Australian children. So it's it's really uncommon. But again, uh, there's some really good research that uh, with the right team around you, parents who are concerned can have this identified and then start on the path to early intervention really early. Another common um, question parents ask us about is toe walking. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, toe walking is really interesting. We go back to autism, and that's one of the yeah. uh, one of the features that some kids with autism have. And it's probably some sort of sensory difference where they don't like the feel of their entire foot on the ground. Having said that, a lot of toddlers toe walk. They like it. They think it's funny, or it gets a reaction, or it just feels comfortable for that little moment in time for them. Yeah. And I think the key thing for the parents there is to keep encouraging them to go down on their feet, and if they that simple encouragement and role modelling doesn't work, then you know who you speak to. You go and go to your health nurse or your GP and then start the path to get it investigated if it's persisting. 
And so, Gihan, what can parents be doing at home to support their motor development of, of their children? They don't need to all be at Jimbaroo or, you know, doing fancy physio programs or anything in particular. It's just everyday life that, that really is going to help. Yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree, Anthea, that, you know, you don't need to sign up I mean, for those expensive... things can be fun and yeah. it's not to say yeah. that they're not great opportunities for development and, you know... Social even, development. Exactly, and for mums as well to chat to other mums, but they're not necessary to make sure your child's going to have typical motor skills. Yeah, correct. Don't feel guilty if you can't, um, you know, afford or get to those programs. But absolutely, you know, we talked before about the importance of getting away from really static activities like being on a screen and really working with your child to explore their environment, you know, running around on uneven surfaces, getting out to the playground and just helping your child to feel confident in using their large muscle groups to really exercise and build those skills. And playgrounds now have some extraordinary climbing equipment, don't they? I mean, honestly, the upgrades and a lot of them, beautiful rope sort of climbing. It's just fabulous what kids have an opportunity to attempt. Yeah. So creating opportunities for your child to be a little bit challenged, but in a way that's safe so you can Mm. support them is going to help them, you know, keep progressing with those motor skills. Yeah. I think that's probably all we have time for today, Gihan. It's been a really helpful discussion. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Lots of resources we've discussed today, the Raising Children's Network being one of them. They'll be linked in our show notes and there's lots of ideas there to help parents support the development of their kids at home. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform and press subscribe. And it would be fantastic if you could leave us a review. And thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.